This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, this is Angela Mancini, partner of Control Risks. I lead the Asia Pacific Markets and Partnerships team. Welcome to Asia in Focus. Today, we're speaking about the recent Philippine presidential election. Now, elections in the Philippines are almost always disruptive, politically risky affairs where new leadership means new decision-making power networks, and there's always different winners and losers amongst domestic business conglomerates and elites. And this can have quite serious knock-on effects for quite a number of our clients. These are always very closely watched. The recent Philippine election earlier in May was no less dramatic, intriguing, and emotive with Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr., the son and namesake of the late longtime dictator who was ousted in 1986 by the People Power Revolution, winning convincingly by a landslide. But even before the election itself on May 9th, we've had clients asking us in the months running up to the election, is this going to be a return to dictatorship in the Philippines? And if so, what does that mean for our business? Should we be concerned? What should we be watching for? Should we still be continuing to invest in the Philippines at all? In light of these election results, Clients ultimately want to know whether there are credible risks that the incoming Marcos administration could impact the otherwise positive investment outlook for the Philippines. They want to understand whether certain sectors will be exposed to increased political and integrity risks, but also where there might be opportunities for growth over the next few years. That's Charlie Warren, partner and head of business intelligence for Southeast Asia. Charlie and his team have been advising clients all across Southeast Asia, but particularly in the Philippines and particularly in the last few months in the run up to the election. Another Philippine expert I'd like to bring in at this point is Derek Ah, senior analyst at Control Risk and also our lead analyst for the Philippines as well as Vietnam and Myanmar. Derek recently wrote a pre-election analysis on this race, which is published on the Control Risk website, where he correctly predicted the dynamics in the run-up to the election as well as the outcome, and with some really interesting insights on what this return to history is going to mean for businesses and how the business outlook overall might change and most importantly, what businesses right now should be considering. Derek, all eyes have been on this election and it's been quite one to watch. You've been watching it, you know, arguably as closely as anyone. Can you give us a quick summary right now of the situation as it stands? Sure. So Bombo Marcus is now the presumptive president-elect, but the mood here in Manila, if you speak to people, is still quite tentative, even if this has been more or less predictable election outcome. You have many in professional circles still reeling from the defeat of their election favorite vice president, Lenny Robredo. And to them, the country has changed forever. They fear that Bombo Marcos, son of former dictator, they would always emphasize, will reverse many of the reforms that were put in place since the ouster of his father. They accuse Marcus of historical revisionism. They credit his victory to a relentless disinformation campaign that downplayed many of the documented human rights violations that have been during his father's rule. And on the other hand, of course, you have half of the country celebrating Marcus's victory and also celebrating the supposed end of what they see as the hypocrisy and prejudices of the post-people power or post-Marcus politics. So I think we're dealing right now with a highly polarized public discourse around the next 
Philippine president. Emotions are high and it's going to take some time for a lot of people to fully accept the outcome. But I would argue that voters knew exactly who or what they were voting for. Uh, I think they know very well about the Marcus family and what that represents. And ultimately, people voted for a continuation of the incumbent President Rodrigo Duterte's brand of leadership and politics, which anyway, Duterte says he took from Bongbong's father. And I think that that's exactly what they will get. So that's interesting because clearly what you're saying is, you know, eyes were wide open for those that did vote in this way. A lot of people are talking about a quote unquote return to dictatorship here. With that as context, what does this now actually mean for the Philippines going forward? Sure. I think most people's concerns about this return to dictatorship are a little overstated. First of all, Bombo Marcos is not his father. He's not Marcos Sr. They're very different people and they belong to very different time. For example, we no longer live in the 70s. We no longer live in the Cold War. Plus, I think the political economy that Bonbon will inherit, I don't think will tolerate or agree to the curbing of civil liberties in any significant way, which happened during his father's presidency. We also have, you know, three quarters of the population able to access the internet. You know, it's just a very different country. And I don't think Marcus would even try such radical things such as, you know, declaration of martial law or curbing of media and civil rights. That would defeat the whole purpose of this political comeback that they've waited so long to stage. Charlie, let's turn to you. Let's take a couple of steps back and think about the issue more broadly. How significant are all these issues as it relates to the overall business climate? Thanks, Angela. Well, as Derek points out, clearly the historical context of this election victory and the resonance of the Marcos name are really quite important factors here. But it's also worth noting that this election has come at quite a critical time for the Philippines. The country is only just emerging from one of the most severe COVID lockdowns in the world, and the economy is recovering from one of the sharpest declines in Asia during the pandemic. So in addition to attempting to unite the country after a deeply divisive election, there is already real pressure on Marcos to deliver a compelling economic and policy agenda for his six-year term. Okay, and you work very closely with clients. You spend all day, every day talking to clients around the region. And in fact, you also used to live for many years in the Philippines yourself. What are some of the key concerns you're hearing from clients now as it relates to the situation? So really, Angela, there are three core questions that our clients are asking us about the outcome of the elections and the way forward for the country. Firstly, to what extent are we able to see past some of the media headlines on these election results? and able to allay concerns from some observers of a potential slide back into authoritarian rule. Secondly, will the overall operating environment under a Marcos administration be conducive to foreign investment? And are there some sectors of the economy more exposed to risk than others? Conversely, where do we see opportunity for investors? Lastly, whether their business interests and local partners could find themselves exposed in a highly emotive political environment, particularly if their local partner or asset is perceived to be an opponent of the Marcoses. Okay, so to cut to the chase, Derek, should companies really be worried? I think companies that have been operating here in the Philippines for quite some time don't have real reasons to be worried. I can argue, for example, that those companies would have experienced the worst already when it comes to business uncertainty during the first two or three years under Duterte. And that's by design. Duterte wanted the business community to fear him, to respect him. And first two years of his presidency certainly saw that. Um, under Duterte, you had things like the war on drugs, which was very concerning for many 
many um, foreign investors. Uh, a lot of their employees live in these areas affected by the government's uh, very violent anti-drug campaign. You also had Duterte threatening to sever ties with the U.S., the Philippines' treaty ally and top business partner. Um, and that obviously sent shockwaves among the foreign business community. I would argue that there would be less of that under Marcos and that the markets were broadly tolerant of those shockwaves, if you will, uh, under Duterte, and they will be under Marcos, because I think Marcos would, in a way, represent an improvement from those uncertainty that they saw before. I think Marcos, at the onset, would focus on economic recovery following the pandemic. Of course, as Charlie mentioned, the Philippines is still reeling from two years of the pandemic plus tense lockdowns, and Marcos would be wise to, to prioritize that. Marcos would also be very smart if he follows the lead of other Philippine presidents, where he appoints a very credible team of economic managers to assuage concerns from the markets, especially because of the reputation that his family brings to the table. So I think those will be kind of the main priorities for the Marcus administration once it's inaugurated next month. I would agree with Derek. We don't anticipate too much diversion from the status quo and certainly not from the previous Duterte administration, noting that indeed the vice president elected in these elections was Sarah Duterte's daughter. But there are a couple of interesting points to note here. Firstly, we expect that the Marcoses will elevate certain groups and individuals who've remained loyal to them since their removal from power in 1986. This dynamic is unlikely to be as concentrated as it was under Duterte, who very much favoured a single businessman, Dennis Wee. But there will be a slate of businesses unfamiliar to international investors now at the front of the queue for lucrative government and private sector contracts and projects, lined up as potential partners for international businesses and our clients. This will elevate the risk of a misalignment between investors and these local business groups, particularly around good governance as many of these groups will have little experience of working with foreign partners. The other point to make is that we can expect the Marcuses to an extent to pursue historic vendettas and grievances against certain business families who they perceive to have benefited from their downfall and to attempt to recover billions of dollars of assets that have been sequestered from them by successive governments over the years. There is a risk here that existing foreign partners could somehow get caught in the crosshairs of these disputes, similar to what happened to uh, media company ABS-CBN and utilities firm Manila Water during the Duterte presidency. We'll return to the conversation with Derek and Charlie in just a moment. But if you're interested to read what Derek has written in his piece about the Philippine election, much of which our conversation here is based on, please do click on the link below in our podcast notes. And if you're looking for more of such analysis and insights from our experts on issues all over the world, please do visit the Our Thinking section on our website, or you can just click on the link below in our podcast notes. And now back to our discussion with Derek and Charlie. Okay, Derek, let's turn back to you. You're actually in Manila and you've been looking quite closely at not just the run up to the election and the results and the risks, but actually the process as well. So at this point in time, Bong Bong Marcos has been named the president elect. What is next in the transition process? 
So I think in the next few weeks, the various factions that funded and supported Marcos in this presidential campaign, we'll see them competing for influence and appointments in Marcos's cabinet. And only then, I think we can start to, to forecast what policies and key sectors could come about. This is the kind of competition that brought rise to, you know, mining policies in the previous presidential election. This is also kind of the appointment process that defined Noi Noi Aquinos, for example, example, foreign policy and certainly this policy towards China. So I think this is a very important process uh, that should be watched closely by businesses. This could you know, last until the very end of the transition process uh, before Marcus becomes inaugurated in, in the end of June. And are there any particular sectors that are more vulnerable to policy changes than others? And I'm also curious if you can also talk about foreign policy changes as well, and whether we think more broadly the change in regime will impact the long-term investment potential and appeal of Philippines. The thing about this is that Bombo Marcos refused to take any meaningful positions on any key issues during the campaign period, and those are for strategic reasons. He was front runner from the beginning, and he maintained that until the end, precisely because he chose not to antagonize any sector or, or, or groups of people. I honestly wouldn't speculate until I see the final list of cabinet appointments, because I think the interest in people around Marcos would mainly share instincts and preferences of the there the administration and I think I would look out for outliers in those appointments to say that there would be changes. I think many companies in fact would be interested to know that most policies will remain the same. For example, I think in the telecom sector, many foreign equity groups would be keen to know that significant policies like the common tower policy, which opened up a lot of opportunities in, in the tower construction and operator space, would, would remain under Marcos. And I think I can say the same under foreign policy, under Duterte, he balanced defense cooperation that the Philippines has with the U.S. while expanding on the economic ties with China. Marcos has broadly indicated that he would do the same, and I haven't seen any indication that it would be otherwise. As Derek says, we don't foresee any immediate deterioration in the overall operating environment as it relates to investors. Although a lot will depend on the complexion of the Marcos cabinet and his inner circle, specifically that balance between, you know, family loyalists and respected technocrats and what that means for policy. And this is really why businesses will take a wait and see approach before committing to any significant investment or market entry plans. However, what we can say is that regardless of the cabinet makeup and policy agenda, we do not expect to see any significant improvements in the overall operating environment, at least as it relates to business risk. As Derek notes, the electorate convincingly rejected the presidential candidate Lenny Robredo, who ran on a platform of good governance, and the prospects of any meaningful attempts from the government to tackle corruption or to strengthen the independence of the judiciary, for example, are low, and foreign businesses will continue to have to manage these risks. Okay, so we know that we're waiting to see who gets appointed to the cabinet. We know we're waiting for specific policies to be announced, although there's some sense of an early read of the broad direction they might go in. What should companies be doing right now? So Derek, we'll start with you. Even before anything else is announced and we have more definition, is there anything companies should be thinking about doing right now to prepare? 
We have been advising clients, especially if their companies are operating in sensitive or heavily or even semi-regulated sector, to at least gain an understanding of the informal networks and interest groups that are right now forming and consolidating around Marcos. Apart from that, you know, identifying monitoring risk triggers uh, specific to their operations and projects are key at this stage. For example, if you're in the mining sector, you'd be keeping a close eye on who Marcos will appoint as his finance and environment ministers, and if they're the types that cause delays or trouble for the sector as a whole or for their local business partners. I think Charlie would have a lot more to say about that. Or if you're in the business processing sector, uh, your preference is for the Marcus administration to, for example, keep allowing work from home arrangements as this is good for your bottom line. And you'd have to look at how strong a pressure real estate developers as an interest group can exert on uh, Marcus's appointees in the Ministry of Trade and Industry and Economic Zone Authority. So I think these are the type of risk assessment exercise that a lot of our clients are, are doing right now. And I think they are right to do, do those. One more point to add here. In the short term, we will continue to see negative headlines from international media regarding the incoming presidency, and companies should be prepared for questions and concerns from LPs and stakeholders at Corporate HQ about a potential return to authoritarian rule and the resultant viability of investing or expanding operations in the Philippines. While some of these concerns may be overblown, they will require careful stakeholder management internally. Okay, so to sum up the discussion, I'm getting three main takeaway points here, which are, number one, the presidency will likely represent more continuity than disruption, although the headlines may imply differently, at least in the immediate term. But the focus is going to be initially on post-COVID recovery. But nevertheless, Marcos will indeed likely seek to redress what his family perceives to be historical injustices done to them and their closest associates. So that's point one. Point two, there's no real indication that the business outlook and attitude toward foreign direct investment might change drastically. So there is some concern in the business community Community, but the acute concern over a potential return to authoritarian rule is most likely overstated. And then thirdly, businesses should indeed take a look at what the risks might be for them very specifically. So we talked about the BPO sector, we talked about the real estate sector. So in addition to looking more broadly about new alignments of business groups and how that might impact an individual investor investors, depending on their sectors, should be doing a very specific localized risk assessment to look at the policies that might be impacting them more, more specifically going ahead. So that has been a great discussion. That just leaves me to say thank you to Derek and Charlie for a really interesting discussion. I think, again, all eyes have been on this election. All eyes will continue to be on how things unfold going forward. And thanks for a really good discussion. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. That's all for this episode of Asia in Focus, and we'll look forward to the next one. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.